Our scripture tonight is taken from two places. I invite you first to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll be reading the first 10 verses of Deuteronomy chapter 8, and then in that connection, we'll turn to Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13, and reading to verse 4 of chapter 4. And the Matthew passage will be our particular focus, especially verses 1 through 4 of chapter 4. So first, Deuteronomy chapter 8, where we find Israel ready to finally embark upon the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years of disobedience. 40 years learning a hard, slow lesson, which they were hard of heart and slow to learn. 40 years and now a sermon delivered by Moses to prepare them for promised land. These words, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Those words from Deuteronomy and now turning to the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 3 starting at verse 13 where we come to Jesus ready to embark upon his ministry receiving something of an endorsement by God the Father himself and then what happens next. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. 
After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Thus our reading, and may God bless his holy word to us. Your congregation, you come to the baptism of Jesus, you come to a riddle. You certainly do, because you don't wash what isn't dirty. You don't cleanse what isn't soiled. Soiled in baptism is a symbol of cleansing. You don't seek to give rebirth to that which isn't dead, and Jesus doesn't need rebirth. He doesn't need cleansing. It seems that his baptism is a riddle. It seems that John the Baptist sort of knew what he was talking about when he said, you would have me baptize you. I need to, you should baptize me. I'm the soiled one. I'm the one that needs the spirit of rebirth and hope and strength and God's blessing in this way. And Jesus says, no, let it be so, John, to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus comes to stand in the place of the sinner. He will stand in the place of the sinner in the waters of baptism, even as he will hang in the place of the sinner on the cross of shame to fulfill all righteousness. The baptism of Jesus might seem a puzzle, but it's nothing but the puzzle of God's grace and redemption of sending the Holy One in the place to stand in the place of the unholy ones. That always is a riddle. It's not how our world works. It's not how we think. We have it all sized up like Job's friends. Bad things happen to bad people, see? And that's how life works there. Everyone knows that. And then good things happen to good people. Why this tragedy? Well, what's her sin? What's his sin? Aren't they getting what they deserved? Do you really think we get what we deserve? Do you want to get what you deserve? Is that how God treats us, according to what we deserve? We need one to stand in our place to give us what we don't deserve. And that's what Jesus comes to do to fulfill. He won't skip righteousness. He won't ignore righteousness. He won't forget what it is to love God and neighbor and fulfill the law. And he won't skip over the judgment of the law against sin and sinners, except he comes to be in our place. No sooner is Jesus baptized than you get, well, he goes out of the water, the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove lighting on him. It's like unto that. It's not literally that, but it's like unto something like that. And now the voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. About no one else but this one. 
gets this divine imprimatur, this signatory under him as he would bear the office of the Christ, as he would be prophet, priest, and king, as he's anointed, because that's what Christ means, anointed one, anointed of the Spirit, set apart for a task, and God the Father saying, yes, this one. This one's my son. This one I'm well pleased with. He's the one who later on the Mount of Transfiguration, remember that, would likewise have the, the, the imprimatur, that the, the signing off of the Father. This is my beloved whom I love, who I'm well pleased with. Listen to him. He says to the disciples with him, who are you supposed to listen to? Who will they listen to when Jesus is decaying, his body's decaying in a grave? What will, devil, what will the devil say in their hearts? Whose word do you live by? I don't mind the dangling preposition, but, you know, for any school teachers or something. By whose word do you live? Well, whose word do you live by? Whose voice do you listen to? Jesus is driven by the Spirit into the desert, the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. The Christ, the Father saying, this one, yes, driven by the Holy Spirit to engage and suffer temptation as that one, as Son of God. It's interesting because we, I've caught myself thinking this way, well, as a child of God, life should go swell. As a child of God, I shouldn't face trials. I, since I'm on God's side, I, I, I'm on the winning side, I'm on the good side, the white hat side, the, the kingdom of God's side, then I should, my life should be on cruise control. It should all just be easy peasy, right? The Christ of God, my, my only Son, I'm well pleased with, driven by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted, whose word will he live by? See, Jesus had to learn all obedience too. So in his appointment, as the Christ and his anointment as the Christ to do the saving work of redemption first on the list of duties is temptation. Will you be true to me? So Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights without food and now the devil comes to him and we see here, first of all, this, the nature of this temptation that Jesus, there's a purpose to it, there's a nature to it, and that's what we want to focus on, first of all, what he suffers here. He is deliberately tempted after he's been placed in a position of solitude. You could even say loneliness. You know, sometimes we're strong in numbers, right? I mean, we need the fellowship of saints. We need communion. We need each other. We need t 
to come to worship and participate in the life of the church in order to be strong in faith. You try to be a loner Christian, you won't be a Christian for long, (laughs) or not a very faithful one for very long. We need one another. And there's one thing to be a time of solitude, a prayer closet, but being cast in utter loneliness and solitude makes us vulnerable. That's where Jesus is placed, vulnerable, and now physically weakened, hungry, famished, starving. And so he's physically weak. He places Jesus in this vulnerable, fleshly, uh, weak of flesh sort of position. And the devil then, in, if you want, kicks him when he's down. And that's what the devil always does. A husband dies, I'll kick her when she's down. A child is wayward, I'll beat up on them while they're hurting. Financial difficulties, I'll make them wonder whether God loves them now. It's often how the devil attacks us, and Jesus suffers this this sort of attack. And meanwhile, it's this same Jesus who will teach us to pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. And yet here is one by the Holy Spirit led into the desert to be tempted. That's not a prayer. That's not an action of the Spirit in which God does the tempting. No, it's a period of testing and will you stand firm in the faith. Jesus has to decide whose word will he live by. That's that's exactly how it ensues here because what does the what does the devil do to him? He came to him, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, the Greek language is a little different. Even English actually does this, but it's more clear in the Greek tongue. The if clause there isn't if, and I don't know which is which, whether you are or not. That's not the kind of if clause it is. It's an if clause which has, and of course you are. We do this in English. If you're my son, you will stop picking on your sister. And of course you're not saying, if you are or you're not, I don't know, and you don't know. And, but it means, if you're my son, and of course you are, now stop that. The English language works that way too. So this isn't, if you are, and I don't know, and you shouldn't know, and you should doubt whether you are. That's not the nature of the grammar there. It's if you're the Son of God, then of course you are. He's just been baptized, anointed with the Spirit, with the Father's voice from heaven saying so. That's not in doubt. But since you are that, of course you are that, you shouldn't be hungry. You shouldn't be needy. You shouldn't be suffering. You're the Christ of God? Yeah, okay. Well, shouldn't life go well for you? Turn these stones into bread. You're the prophet, priest, and king. Exercise your prophetic power and tell these stones to become food. You need it. 
right? Jesus replies from Scripture itself. He answers, it is written. And of course, we read that. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live in a world that doesn't believe that at all. And sometimes even we in the church struggle to believe it. What did he say? Man does not live on bread. Well, you need bread, man. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word. What does man live on? On every word that comes from the mouth of God. Maybe some of you can uh, maybe have farming roots. And you remember uh, the old days, uh, it's harvest time, farmer's really busy, he's in and out, and he comes home for lunch. Oh, he's so busy, he says his prayer on the sidewalk, quick a minute, you know. He, he gobbles down his food fast, tells his wife, I gotta be going, I got a lot to do, and she says, now, 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 you don't live on bread alone. We gotta read Bible, come on. You don't live on bread alone, but you're the word, and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, so yeah, we'll read quick. Yeah, let's do that, right? And of course, she's right. But guess what? You don't live when you have stuff to put in your mouth. There's all kinds of people that have more than enough stuff to put in their mouth. They have freezers packed full. They have multiple homes with fridges and freezers ready to go. Does that mean they're alive and have life? There's people who know meagerness and live hand to mouth, but they also live by the word that comes from God's mouth. Who's richer? Hmm, let's think of a guy who once was a very successful farmer who became more successful. He was so successful, he didn't have enough storage bins for all his grain. Hmm, what do I do, soul? Well, I think I better build some more grain bins. There's an idea. So he builds bigger and bigger grain bins for all his grain. And then he said to himself, there, he has bread, a plenty. And he said to himself, soul, take it easy, man. You're coasting, you're cruising, you got the American dream, you're living the life here, man. Wow. But this day, his life is required of him. Now what? He was rich of stuff, but not rich of God's grace, of God's glory, of faith. Man, you don't, you're not alive because you have clothes and houses and cars and boats and cottages. And you can go to nice restaurants and enjoy yourself. That's not living. Jesus is hungry as the Son of God, the Christ of God, the Savior of the world. If anyone has the rights and privileges to daily bread, it's him. But he doesn't, he knows that's not what life is. That's what Moses was trying to get through to the Israelites back in Deuteronomy. 
You've been living hand to mouth. You've been living how? With manna. God decided you need a big humbling. You want to humble people? Make them hungry. Where just daily sustenance is a chore, a task. And out in a desert wasteland where God had driven them, then what? Let's plant a crop. That's not going to work. Well, let's hunt some big game. That's not a work. Not going to work. In fact, what's to come of the livestock and everything else? They don't have grass to eat and water to drink. He puts them in a place of desperation. How desperate this desperate? That they have to have food from heaven to survive, and they have to depend upon it every day. Don't get the store up except for Sabbath day, and otherwise, nothing. You got to just trust God to provide. And they were slow to get a lesson. Forty years in a wilderness waste, and so Moses is saying, hey now, you're ready to finally enter promised land. Have you been humbled? Will you obey God? Be careful to walk by faith, by obedience, because you live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. You live from his promises of grace and provision that I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be true to you. Now, trust God, depend upon him. That's what that manna, which is really a question word, manu. What's this? What, what is it? It's a question word. It's food from God, bread from heaven. That's what it is. And now Jesus, faced with this temptation to make stones become bread, says, but what's God's will? That's the devil's word in my ear, but whose word will I live by? And the word I come to live by is to obey the one who sent me. I come to live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. And that isn't first to satiate my own hunger, my own needs, my own desires, but to trust God as knowing always what he's doing and will provide for me in good time on his terms. It's a hard lesson for us to get because, you know, Israel's temptation was now finally we're in promised land. It's an abundant land, a flowing land. It already has vineyards and orchards and wells dug and fresh water and iron you can dig out of the mountains and trees you can harvest. It's an abundant land. Here's the land long promised. It's already uh, put together and ready to go for you. And now we're doing well. We're doing swell. Isn't this great? Oh, you know, we, it, we're, we've arrived. And I don't need God that much now. Isn't that sad that God blesses us? You could say the... I mean, if we go back in our roots as a Dutch Reformed community, many having family as immigrants who were poor, <laughs> yeah, right? Who struggled, 
who lived out of faith, who crossed an ocean on a boat, hoping against hope for a life in front of them in a foreign land, foreign culture, foreign language, and poor and dependent. And, try, and then it got successful. We, we made it. We're good. We're strong. We're wealthy. We, uh, and have we forgotten? Whose word do we live by? What's the word the devil whispers in our ear? Well, who's that barn builder who isn't rich toward God? What is it that can consume our hearts and our minds that if I can't take the latest exotic vacation, life's no good? I know people who just live for vacation to vacation. They, they fill in the time mostly planning for their next vacation. To salve the pain, to kill the boredom, whose word are they living by? It's so important for us to grasp this. Now, as you look at this temptation of Jesus in his office as the Christ to steer him off the path, to get him to become disobedient, we find that it's a path in which Israel herself had walked this same trial and flunked. In fact, it's very clear here in Matthew's gospel that he wants us to see Israel, when we see Jesus, and Jesus, as we think back to Israel, Israel's 40 days or 40 years in the wilderness, and it's very deliberate that Jesus now 40 days in the wilderness. Israel made to hunger and have to depend upon God. Jesus made to hunger, and the devil tempts him Will you live by the word of God or not? But even before that, you go back in Matthew's gospel and you find with the genealogies, the genealogy of Jesus, that it's, it's traced back to David and traced back to Abraham so that when you think of covenant history, Matthew's very deliberate here, that that covenant history reaches its fulfillment, its pinnacle, what it was longing and reaching for in Jesus. You want to think Old Testament? You're not thinking it right until you arrive at Jesus. Or a little later, he talks about the escape of Jesus uh, to Egypt, and then it quotes those words, out of Egypt I have called my son. Well, you say, well, Wait a minute, uh, didn't Hosea say that about Israel? Out of Egypt, God called his son Israel. And now, yes, and now you have to think new thoughts. That as Jesus had been uh, found escape from Herod's knife and the like, now this one is called out of Egypt is God's son. Je Israel? Jesus. The boys and girls can understand it. They say, well, there was this evil king. And he didn't like the threat to his throne. 
And so he had all the baby boys killed when he heard of one prophesied about. And you think back, oh, oh that's uh, Pharaoh. That's baby Moses. No, that's Herod and baby Jesus. It's very deliberate. You think Jesus, think Israel, think Israel. You go to Jesus. And now he too. Except Israel flunks over and over and over again. She doesn't keep the commands of God. She doesn't live by every word that proceeds from her mouth. She chases foreign gods. She gets wealthy and loses her faith and loses her way and apostatizes, right? She becomes a covenant-breaking people. And there's little oases of faith, but mostly it's a story of deformation and corruption and hardness of heart and it gets so bad God exiles her, rips her out of promised land and sends her out into the world because she wanted to be like the world anyway. Well then go live in it! You want to be that? Then be that. And only a little remnant is brought back, remember? And that's what Jesus is working with. But they're still under occupation. They're still now under a Roman Empire, having to do their tribute to Rome. They're still needing to learn whose word do you live by. And that's a lesson for the church over and over and over again. See, it's easy to live by the word of your own heart. Well, I feel this way, and so it's right. Many of us, I've had my share of, of marriages broken by a partner. Well, this is just God's will for me that I have this affair, dump this spouse, and get the other one. What? It's not God's will for you. That's the devil's will for you. Call it what it is. Whose word are you living by? See, we often think of temptation as the desire, the attraction to do bad things. Temptation is, well, I, I, I can see his paper really well, and he's really smart, and I struggle with this, and I can cheat off him. And I, just a little glance of the eye, so the attraction to do a, a bad thing. Or to lust in a sinful way, or to be greedy and covetous and really dissatisfied with your house or spouse, or, you know, I want better, I deserve more. Maybe I deserve never to be hungry. Whose word are you going to live by? It's real, it's everyday stuff. How we entertain ourselves, but you see, Jesus' temptation isn't just attraction to do bad things. It's more fundamental what guides, leads, orients you, gives you the compass in life, the direction to go. Whose word are you looking to for wisdom? 
And it's not because the Bible's a magic book and you can flip through it randomly and put your finger, okay, should I, do, should I marry him or not? Flip, 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 you know, go and do likewise. Or, you know. That's not the point of the Bible. In fact, the Bible doesn't really tell you, should I take this job or that job? The Bible gives you principles. Would this be a wholesome move for you, for your family? Is it good money or is it too many hours away from it? gives you all sorts of principles in which to sort out. And some decisions aren't, you can't sort them out. You can only give yourself to the Lord to bless what you're trying to do, what's best. That's God's will for you. But see, the point is, is whose word are you going to live by? Who are you going to listen to? You have another example of Jesus being signed off on, given the, the endorsement of the Heavenly Father on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter's scared out of his wits. Should we build some booths, some little worship shelters? I mean, what? <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. He's all bewildered and afraid. And the voice from heaven, this is my son. Well, please listen to him. You're going to need to do that because in a short time he's going to be hanging on a cross of shame and dead. Who are they going to listen to? The one who in John's high priestly discourse right before his death, remember all that big long speeches in the Gospel of John? Where Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Whose word are you going to listen to? Yeah, I'm going to let my hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm not going to believe. Whose word are you going to listen to? We have a culture of, it's sort of out of date to talk about it this way, but it still lives, of a playboy philosophy. That's very chauvinistic nowadays. And yet, what it represents still lives. We live in a culture in which freedom of speech means pornography, easy access, while we live in a culture that says respect women. Well, pick one. Because they both can't be true at the same time. But the people who say that and advocate for that will advocate for both simultaneously with all passion. Whose word do they live by? The nonsense word of the devil. Whose word do you live by? Our children are looking to us to know the answer to that question because we face our own temptations. We also bear an office as Christian. If Jesus is the anointed one and the devil would get him to deviate off a path of obedience to the word of God, disqualifying him as the righteous one, as the Christ of God, we who live in the one fully obedient and now participate in his anointing, that's how our catechism talks about what's a Christian. It's someone united to Christ by faith is anointed with the same spirit that he's anointed with to be prophets, priests, and kings, to bear testimony of the hope we have in him, to declare and learn the faith and speak it to others, to offer ourselves in service and 
at the behest of the Spirit to pray for all men, including those in the household of faith, our world political leaders, our neighbor across the street, our priestly task, and a royal task to be kings, to reign with Christ, to fight against, to take up the cause of the gospel in this world. That's what a Christian is, and now he would have us flunk and fail and deviate and look away that my life isn't about being a Christian and bearing an office in this threefold way in all that I think and say and do. No, it's just about getting the glory and living how you please. Live by the word of Hollywood. Live by the word of some ideology from feminism to communism to uh, materialism and money and stuff. Whose word do you live by? And there's only one word that brings life, even life from the dead. And that is the word of God, the word of the gospel. And that's why Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone. God knows you need bread. That's why he taught us to pray for daily bread. Daily bread. You only need to ask God for what's enough. You don't need to ask God for far, far more than enough. And yet he is generous. But now, out of that generosity, we can be generous to help answer the prayers of others who are praying for just enough, a daily bread. You don't live by bread alone. You need bread, you need shelter, you, know, you need clothes. God knows all that. He, he's fine that we pray for daily bread, taught us to. But it's not first. The hallowing of his name is first. The coming of his kingdom and the doing of his will is first. The doing of his will in the gospel, the doing of his will toward our neighbor, the doing of his will in our worship, the doing of his will in our service, the doing of his will in our humility and dependency, that's all first. And then we can get around to some of our physical needs like daily bread. We also have the prayer not, and this is part of doing his will, living out of the word of God by what proceeds from his mouth. Is lead us not in temptation because I'm not strong like Jesus is. I'm not up to it in my own strength. I mean, how does the song go, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it? Prone to leave the God I love? That's me. Lead us not in temptation, Lord, and thank you for the one who underwent temptation and didn't flunk, but was obedient all the way and stayed obedient, kept being obedient in all opposition and hatred in misunderstanding, when they called him a glutton and a drunk, obedient, obedient, disciples not getting it, obedient, obedient, all the way to death. 
on a cross. Because you're not. I'm not. He is. We need this word that comes from God's mouth. Israel needed it. We need this word of God in our ears. We need the word of God in our midst. We need the word of God in the flesh. And that's why, not as a matter of duty and jumping hoops, but as a matter of building ourselves up in the faith that Jesus already knew the word of God well enough to quote it back in the devil's face. And so we need the word of God that way too. That we imbibe it. It lives and throbs in us. It it fills our thoughts. It shapes our attitudes. It, it, it helps us dispute what's disputable. It helps us to have words of rebuke both on our lips and in our hearts when we see what's immoral and wicked and selfish and destructive. It, it, not to make us, because this is Word of God too, looking down our nose at others. Because the Word of God says, not that. Not to be filled with the Word of God to become a Christian snob, but a servant like he was. Filled with the Word of God to also offer a word of compassion for sinners who need help, who need rescue, who are blind and need the scales pulled on, who have hard hearts that need to be made pliable. We need the Word of God to be faithful Christians. And that's what we want to be in Jesus Christ. Devils, the devil will tempt us. Temptations will come our way. And the word of God teaches us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. The temptations will deliver us. Rescue us. See us through Make us wise like Joseph. Run. Get out of there. Even though it cost him. And he suffered for obedience. And so did Jesus. So did Paul. Lord, make me obedient even as I would see my heart and my flesh mortified that the life you give may be revivified or come to life more and more. Amen. Our gracious God, hear our prayer as we would ask that you would bless us with an understanding that Christ underwent temptation even in our behalf, shows us the way that we would learn more and more to live from what you say, not what we're able to do or from the lies of the devil. Lord, grant this to us. Make us strong in the faith. Make the children and youth that will come to this vacation Bible school strong in faith. Nurture them.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.